I like that, man. Whoever's been praying for rain and cold weather, thank you, whoever you are, because this weekend has been amazing, and I'm so grateful. Like Chad was saying about legacy, we, it, it's amazing to be a part of, uh, of, a, of a church that has been shaping faith in Long Beach for a century. I think sometimes when we think about legacy, and it's what we're going to be talking about today in the book of Acts, about legacy. And uh, when you read through these parts of Acts, you're going to see that uh, we're, we're going to shift a little bit because the narrative changes a little bit. And as you read through, and as I was reading through in chapter 20, what really stuck out to me was legacy. And we'll get into that in just a second. I think when we examine legacy, when we're looking at someone's legacy, we, it, it tends to only be at a funeral. Have you noticed that? Why is it that when we really get intentional about legacy, we're doing it at a funeral and honoring the legacy that someone maybe has left or trying to piece together the legacy that they have left? If you look at your past loved ones, which a lot of us have in this room, I think this is that you could really go and make a list of every loved one, the legacy that they left behind. In every funeral that I do, I always mention that the legacy of the loved one we're honoring is in the minds and in the hearts and in the life actions that have passed way beyond them. I think sometimes we honor it maybe or think about legacy even for our own life a little, I think, less often than we should. What kind of legacy are we leaving? What kind of lineage behind us are we leaving? When I look at my kids, you know, I can absolutely see some of the legacy of my dad who has passed. It's passed on, and now I see his attributes. Some of the things that I think were so wonderful about my dad in every one of my kids. One of my kids, I just made a tiny little list. One of my kids uh, has, has somehow gotten my dad's non-judgmental attitude. My dad was the least judgmental person that I have known. He never said anything bad about any. And if anybody was going to gossip, my dad was just like not, not there, not contributing. One of my kids has that. Not all of them. One of them has it. <laughs> One of my kids, I can see through the legacy of my dad, and, and is that they got his people skills. My dad was unbelievable with people. Everyone felt like they were my dad's friend. And now I see one of my kids has uh, my dad's people skills. One of my kids has, there, there's no stranger to this child that I have. No one is a stranger. Everyone is a potential and my dad just had that. I, we would be at a gas station, and my dad would get out of the car and start talking to somebody. I'm like, you don't even know that guy. You know what I mean? Like, somehow his legacy is passed on, and one of my kids has my dad's drive for business, and it's so funny because I am not like that. I, not, not as far as, like, trying to build wealth, but already one of my kids has it. And it's like, wow, where did this come from? Legacy moves to the next people beyond you. I think that's what Paul is going to do here and show us about thinking about our legacy. 
More than just our physical legacy, more than just a financial legacy, more than just even just with our own kids, the legacy that we will have. I labeled this message legacy. There's one question. I'm going to leave it up on the screen the entire time. I want you to contemplate this like this question. What will my legacy of faith be? We need to ask that. What is my legacy of faith going to be? What, what will I see as a result of me operating in faith following Christ? Paul, I think, lays it out so good for us. And he is well aware of his legacy of faith. And I don't think that believers enough think about that. I don't want to go to your funeral to find out and try to piece together your legacy of faith. We are continually walking in faith, leaving a legacy. I think the value of leaving a legacy is this, is there's this beautiful gift that God gave you when he formed you and he created you in the womb and gave you this life and then gave you real life, this gift that you have. Real legacy is this. It says that someone didn't squander it. Someone didn't waste this gift that you have. And they actually took that gift and invested it into other people their whole life. That is legacy. And the gift that you used, your life, to invest into other people took root. That's legacy. I read this quote. I thought it was interesting from this business mentor. And, and, and he was trying to, he mentors at a very, very high level. Peter Stropel, he said this, legacy is not leaving something for people. It's leaving something in people. That's legacy. This is what Paul does. He leaves something in people. When you're raising your kids, I think that's what your hope is, right? That, that you're leaving a legacy within them. You're depositing in their life. And that's almost natural, I think, within parents. But in our faith, are we doing the same thing? In preaching the gospel, are we doing the same thing? Are we leaving a deposit in someone's life? I think that you must do the same thing as a believer in people's lives. What kind of legacy are we leaving? I was having this conversation with somebody uh, who used to go to our church, and I just thought, I haven't talked to this person in a while. So I called him, and it was, it was probably one of the most encouraging conversations I've had in a very long time. And all I did is say, can you catch me up on your life? This person is in their 70s, and they said, you know what? I've had a radical change in my life. And I was like, <laughs> You lean in when somebody who has been living their life in, 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 the, in the way they have, and then all of a sudden you hear, at 70, they've had a radical transformation. I cannot wait to hear it. And then she told me something that just made my day. She said, you know what? Like, I am going to spend the rest of my life going and ministering people, like ministering the gospel around the world. And I was like, What? And she said, yeah, I had been to Africa, and I'm, I'm sponsoring this family. And I went and met this family, and, and God just showed me so many things while I was there, and it transformed my heart. And now I've signed up to go to South America, and I'm going to go to Central America, and I'm, I'm also going to go to Israel. And I was like, who are you? She realized that it's, it's more to life than, and she's very driven, very business-minded. She said, there's more to life than just this. I want my legacy to be spreading the gospel. It was such a good thing to think about her legacy like that. It encouraged me to stay the course. 
So let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you. God, help us as a community, as a church, to be mindful of what's our legacy of faith going to be, that we don't just get lost in the weeds, that we don't put it on the back burner, God, that we're conscious of the legacy that we're leaving behind us through our kids, through our family members, through our close loved ones, God, through our community, through strangers we don't even know. But God, help us be those who are mindful of legacy. And God, I ask that even, even someone who says, hey, you know, I'm, I'm in the age of retirement, God says, whew, I'm going for legacy. God, help inspire us in that way. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Acts chapter 20. Let me bring you up to date to where we're at with Acts chapter 20. Maybe some context around, the, you know, this chapter itself. The date, the time, things like that. It's around 59 AD. And you won't believe it, but Paul has only been a believer for 25 years at this point. I've been a believer longer than Paul, and I'm just looking at the scope of his work, and it, it, it impresses me. But he's of 25 years as a believer. He's probably around 54 years old, right? So he's given his life over to this work. He's completed three missionary journeys all throughout Macedonia, all throughout Asia, and all throughout Greece, right? He's planted countless churches. It almost feels like everywhere he goes, there's a Christian community that has developed because of the work Paul has done on foot and by sea, right? His ministry, though, in this region, Macedonia, where Alexander the Great is from, right? Greece, where we talked about Athens, and then Asia, which is basically modern-day Turkey. All of that work he's been ministering, he felt the call to go, and he gave his life to it. He's spent about 11 to 12 years on mission, ministering, building a legacy. And he's coming to this close as Acts begins to shift. You're going to see the immediate shift, too, from this point on. Paul is now ending his ministry in this region, and it will, he will not come back in this region. And he knows it. He feels it inside. But I think about Paul, his, tire, his tireless battle. For the gospel. If you've been honest with his journey, you're like, why hasn't this guy quit? Why hasn't he given up? You know? I, why does he keep going? I'm sorry, but if I'm preaching the gospel and someone hurls a rock at me, I'm like, I'm done. Right? <laughs> We're good. It's cool. And then I'm going to have security checking people for rocks as they come in. You know what I mean? Like, Paul just continued to go. He would be sitting in prison and trusting God. He'd be preaching to people who he deeply loved who would turn on him. Paul was on the run a lot. But he gave everything he had to these people. And he gives one more reminder before he departs. I think when you're reading scripture and you hear something like this, it's important to take note. This is why I did it. Because when you have someone who's going to give their last speech, you got to know. That what Paul is going to tell these people who he bled for, who he cried for, who he constantly taught, and he faced opposition for, and he traveled tirelessly thousands and thousands of miles in very difficult situations, who he constantly got abuse from, that he's going to have something really important to say in his parting words 
They're very important. One of my kids has this weird thing, and, and, and I don't know where it's coming from. I can't figure it out yet. But she's been doing it for years, but I didn't catch on. She, every time she leaves the house, she always says, bye, I love you. And then if she doesn't hear it, she'll walk over and be like, I love you, goodbye. And I'm like, oh, yeah, goodbye, I love you. you know? And then she's like, okay, good. She does it every single time she leaves, every single time. And it's like this thing that it's like, I asked her about it one time. I said, why do you do it? She's like, because I don't want the, I want the last words that if I ever die, this is pretty morbid. If I ever die or something happens or you die, I want you to know that I love you and I want to know that you love me. I went to man camp and I committed the ultimate sin. I didn't say goodbye before I left for man camp. And I got back and I got home and my wife was like, ooh. You didn't say I love you goodbye. And I was like, okay. She's like, ooh, it's a big deal. She's really upset with you. I had to go up. I, we had to hug it out. I said, I'm sorry. I love you goodbye. <laughs> There's something about the last words that are just so meaningful, right? They want this last thing to be known. Paul is preaching his final sermons. If you read in Acts chapter 20 up to where we're going to get into and he's kind of given his last speech. He gets to one place before we get to our text, and he's preaching. And he's preaching so long. It's one of the, it's one of the sermons why I, I think I can justify why I love to talk so long. Because Paul is talking, and he's, he's preaching like it's his last message because it is. He's preaching so long, if you don't know the story, a young guy is listening up in a third-story window while Paul's preaching on the top level. He falls asleep, and he falls out, and he dies, which is important for you to know because if you fall asleep during my sermon, you will die, right? We know this. But I'm not like Paul. Paul picks the kid up and says, oh, he'll live, and then goes up and continues to preach. Oh, my gosh. I love it. It's so, it's so good. But you can tell he's, he, he's going way beyond midnight. He's preaching and preaching. He, he wants to give his last bit of preaching to them. So if you have your Bibles, you can open it to uh, 20. We'll start in verse, sorry, verse 15. And sailing from there, now Luke inserts himself into the narrative now. There are times in Acts where Luke is not, who's the writer of Acts, is not with Paul. And he's sourcing information. And there's times when he is. And so now is a time that he is. He says, for we were sailing from there. We came uh, uh, the following day opposite of Chios. And the next day we touched at Samos. These are all small little islands. And the day after that we went to Miletus, which is another island, 30 miles outside of Ephesus. And for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus, the city he had spent three years in, the city he had really done a great work in the gospel that began to change the entire city, if you remember last week, and the culture. But here's the reason why. So that we might not have to spend time in Asia, for he hastened to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Paul is bringing a gift offering to the church in Jerusalem. It has fallen on very hard times. People are really, really in a bad way financially. And now these Gentile churches who were excluded prior, who Paul had to fight to be able to minister to and validate, are now blessing the church. It's a beautiful circle. But he wants to be there on Pentecost. And part of the reason is Paul is an observant Jew. 
He has never, see, this is the thing I think sometimes people don't realize when they read the Bible is that Paul was very, very observant. He didn't jettison his beliefs and practices of the, of the Jewish faith. He was Jewish. He never was fighting against it. He was fighting to preach about the completion of it. Pentecost and Passover just had a more fuller meaning for Paul. It was the completion of the salvation history of God's people. So that's why he wanted to be there. He's, he knows in this area he's never going to come again. And so he opens up in verse 17. He says, now from Miletus, he sent to uh, Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Now we know a lot of work has been done because he has people who are overseers. Some translations would say they're called even guardians of the church. And the church in Ephesus, like we said last week, it ultimately becomes the, the, the main center for Christian faith in, in the entire region in the Roman Empire. It's a powerhouse. And so he calls this church he's been investing in. He has established leadership. He has good hands he's leaving it into. And they come to him, and he says to them this. I'm going to read a few verses, and we're going to pick it apart. And I want you to see, hopefully, what I see in this verse. This is his opening speech, his encouragement to them. And he says, you yourselves know, and I underlined a lot of things I'm going to point out, how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia is where Ephesus is at. And he says, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plot of the Jews. That's where he started, and that's usually where the uprising began. How I did not shrink back, or I did not shrink from trials that happened to me, right? Or, and and, and uh, I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable in teaching you in public from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to the Greeks, the repentance towards God and the faith in Jesus Christ. What he does in this little frame here is he's establishing an example of how to be leaders. He's establishing an example of what they saw, reminding them, remember how I lived. You must go and live on like that. I put these all up here, what I pulled out. The examples for them to follow in his absence is one, you got to watch how I lived. you you got to watch how I lived and then you do also so people can watch how you live. Now, I don't know if you want people watching how you live, but Paul very much invited them to watch how he lived. But you got to watch how I lived. He says, and the other part I, I, I took out here is he served the Lord first and foremost. He didn't serve man. He didn't serve committees. He didn't serve the government. He served the Lord first and foremost. And this is where we're going to get a little bit of why Paul was so Paul. He served Christ first and foremost. And he states the qualities that it took to serve Christ in first and foremost through humility, through heart, through pushing through trials. And he ultimately was, this is the way of life of a believer. First and foremost, Christ, and you will do it in humility and in tears or in heart. And you will do it by pushing through trials. That's the life you're going to live. I know a lot of believers, we don't really love that. 
But this is what Paul was modeling for his elders, that they would model on in the legacy. The other thing is, is in pressure, he didn't alter the gospel a bit. That's what I take from this. He didn't shrink back. He didn't modify the gospel. He kept the purity of the gospel. There's a lot of pressure always to change our, our, our belief in Scripture about certain things. There is. There's cultural pressure. I remember I was having a very cultural, like a, a difficult conversation with somebody about a certain passage. And, I, and, and I'll always say this, like when they, when they ask, well, is this what the Bible says? And I said, this is what the Bible says. I don't say it. The Bible says this about this passage. I know it's controversial and it's difficult, but listen, I'm going to tell you the truth. You want to know why I'm going to tell you? It's to my very best ability, this is how I, this scripture has been seen. And I've given my whole life to trying to follow this Bible. And so I'm not going to try to massage it, maneuver it, or at all make it work for the culture around me. I just can't. And I don't mind saying that. And people respect it when I say it. They're like, well, okay, whether they agree with me or not. But we have to be careful. I've been in conversations with people where I have a strong, even not scripturally, a strong point, and I'll find myself sometimes just because they're very uncomfortable with my stance on something that I will loosen it to make it a little bit softer for them. Like, ooh, they're getting really offended. They're getting really. Ma- Ever been there? And then you kind of like, kind of just like, yeah, just kind of get away from. It. This is not what we're supposed to do when it comes to our belief in scripture. But delivering it harshly is not what we're supposed to do either. He's un, uh, sorry, he was bold in public and the same in homes. He was what he was. I love that. My, I, my, my goal was never to be anybody different than what I have ever been here or in a home or in any setting. I know I'm not perfect. I know that. And I think Paul knew he wasn't perfect. But Paul was bold in public, and he was bold in home to home. He was someone that uh, he owned who he was. He was unashamed to declare what God had done for all of mankind, meaning that when he talks about Jews and Greeks, he didn't care who you were. You needed to hear the gospel. And then the last part I think we can take from this little part here, when we're talking about building a legacy of faith, is he talked about it was so important to repent. Why is, why is repentance important? Repentance is important for this. I acknowledge the way I have been living is not in God's will. And I'm going to turn from that way, and I am going to live a different way. Why is repentance so important? Because Paul was dealing with a culture that needed to really change their entire life to turn to what he says next, which was your soul faith in Jesus Christ. As, as your salvation in your life. This is what he lived. This was the example he was telling them. This is the example you need to set for the next generation, which will continue. Be the example to others. Verse 22, And behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Uh-oh, that's concerning. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction will await me. Even more concerning. I wrote this question down. How many of us would question this direction from God? Oh, that's not from God. That, that must not be from God. God, you're not telling me that I'm going to go through hard times and suffer and struggle. 
Because we, we, we believe that God will tell us that everything is going to be wonderful and beautiful and, and we will suffer last. No, 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 no. We don't like words like this from God, but Paul didn't shy away from it. He embraced it. I like this attitude. I don't know what's going to happen to me there. I'm going to Jerusalem. We'll find out in a couple weeks. But I'm going knowing that it's going to be difficult. We were at dirt the very first year. And this, I, listen, I don't mean this in a bad way. I don't mean this in any way negative at all. I think this person has the kindest heart ever. But Rob Frontiera deceived me one time when I went to dirt. And he said, Ryan, you should come out and ride with us. You should. It's, and I said, Rob, I haven't ridden since I was in fifth grade. Oh, you'll be fine. Did anybody know this, Rob? This is the Rob you got to watch out for. You'll be fine. And in his mind, he's right. I would be fine. He knew the beauty on the other end of the ride I was going to go on. But, but he, what happened was is he's like, just come on out. I was like, well, I've never been in a desert before. I'm from Michigan. We don't, you know, we have trees, you know, so... You can't ride forever. And he's like, oh, it'll be great. We're just going to go on out there and have fun. Now I'm riding with the best riders in the group. And he's like, hop on. Keep up. <laughs> 30 miles later, 30 miles later, like from here to L.A., like 30 miles later, I get back through very difficult terrain. There were multiple times I was like, this is it. This is, this is the story they tell about me on Sunday. Ryan broke his neck riding a dirt bike, and he shouldn't have been out there. Like, I, it was unbelievable. My hands hurt. My legs hurt. My body hurt. I got back, and, and I remember feeling like, Rob, you are way too positive. Uh, you should have told me the truth. But then the other part was it felt so good because now it was like something I really look forward to, and I also would sell other people on it just how Rob did. If Rob had told me the truth, I would have told him, if he would have told me the truth, I would have told him, that I had a football injury that really, really has been nagging me, although I've never played football ever. <laughs> I would have made something up. This is how it is sometimes. I think we feel like God wants to, God wants to let us know that life is going to be difficult. The journey is going to be difficult. It's not always going to be easy. What Paul did, as an example, is he embraced that. He wasn't afraid of it because he knew on the other side he trusted God. I think you don't need to go. It's almost like this. You don't, you're going to go, but you're going to suffer, but you got to trust. I like what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, 6. And I think he embraced this. This is a bit of his philosophy. So we are always of good courage, for we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. It's a kind of an interesting setup to what he's going to say. Meaning this, when you're with the Lord, all things are going to make sense. You're going to see it all. But while you're in the body, you're not with the Lord. And so then he says this next statement, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We have to walk by faith and not by sight. When we're out developing and leading our legacy, leaving it, it will be a life of faith. It's going to be something you won't see everything in front of you, just like Paul. And it's going to be an example to a lot of people around you that you walked by faith and not by sight. I think following Christ, if you ask me, is a sightless mission. God's probably not going to give you a wonderful sign. He's probably not going to make all these things happen. The stars will not completely align. 
what God is going to do is very much like Rob did to me at Dirty's and say, come, there's some, something great out here for you. And you will just go along with the first calling. He will not pl- call all of it for you or you might not go. But I love Paul because he was given it and he did go. I want to be more like that. It takes faith. It takes trust. It takes obedience. Isaiah 55, 9. Very good passage. It reminds us of why we should trust God when he calls us to do something difficult. Why we should trust and live in obedience to him. It says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God sees beyond your difficulty. He sees beyond the hard challenge of the call. He looks way past that. He knows more. Have you ever gone through something really difficult on the back end? You said, wow, I learned so much about myself. I learned so much about even the world around me. I have a different perspective. He changes you. God knows all that he has for you in store of the difficulty of being a believer in following Christ. It happened to all the greats, though. We love to read about them, but I, I think it's hard sometimes to put ourselves like, I can do that as well. Abraham was called away from everything he knew to go to a land he didn't know, to, to, to go through difficulty. Moses, he was, called, <laughs> he was called back to a place where he was considered a murderer, right? He was. And called back to redeem a whole people as one man with God, just with his voice. That was hard. I think about Gideon. He's one of my favorite characters in the Bible because of how he acknowledged he was nothing. But he won great wars with just 300 people. Because he trusted. David, his trust in God was bigger than the giant in front of him. This is how God works. He knows more than you know, right? But the journey won't always be easy, but we must trust. They had one thing in common. They trusted. They trusted. And I think this is true. Legacies of faith are left by those who trust in who God says he is. That's how you leave a legacy of faith. So when God is prompting you, the Spirit's moving you to go forward, don't resist it. You'll leave a legacy of faith. Paul explains his perspective, and it's a little, it's a little hard to take. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes you wonder, like, okay, Paul, Paul is so bold. He's so willing to go and put everything on the line. Where does that come from? How, what is his mental, like, resolve? Like, what is his stature in this as far as how he believes this life should be, uh, what this life is about? And he says it. He gives us it. He says, but I do not account my life of anything value nor as precious to myself if I only may finish the course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord and testify to the gospel of God and now behold I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom of God will see my face again therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all I'll explain this in a second and for I do not shrink back from, discer- from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. The first thing I had a concern about was like, especially maybe in our day and age, about like, wait, Paul, you don't like yourself? You don't value anything? No, that's not what he's saying. Paul just says, I value something more. That's all he's saying. 
not that he doesn't value the life around him and the everyday living and the things that bring fullness in life, but he says, when it comes to all of that, I value something more. And that is to declare the gospel, the full counsel of God to everybody, and he would never shrink back from that. I think this kept him, this mantra, this mentality, kept him from being distracted, overwhelmed when things got difficult and we wanted to run. It kept him from running. It kept him from quitting. It kept him from giving up. I don't like it when somebody says something bad about my sermon. I'm like, <laughs> do you get what I'm saying? That's hard for me to bear. I mean, you can say it. People do. But it's hard. It, it, it hurts my ego. I, I want to be stronger like that. I don't know about you. I want to have more resolve. I want to, I want to say, hey, I value something more. I can endure what I need to endure. I was reading this story about this World War II spy. She's monumental in the spy business. She's passed since, but her name is Virginia Hall. This is her up on the screen. And she had every reason not to be this effective spy. She saw what was happening with Nazi Germany. She's an American who was in France, and when they invaded, she had to run to, uh, to England. And she was in a bar just talking about how horrible the Nazis were and what they were doing. And, and, and she saw it in a way firsthand. And really the, the founder of basically MI6 at the time said, hey, here's my card if you want to talk. If you don't like them, I got a job for you. And they just sent her out to be this spy. Now what you don't know is that through an accident she had lost her leg. So she was walking on a wooden leg. And but she knew lots of languages. She was very sharp, and she was very good at what she did. And so much so that her drive to stop what was happening and the atrocities that were happening, her drive was more than her own value of her own life. And she was known by the Gestapo as the most dangerous woman in Europe. She stopped many plots. She helped capture many Nazis. She would be on the run in mountains, and her leg would hurt tremendously, go, go in and just trying to find an escape. She found any way possible that she could continue the work to try to stop what was happening over there. She valued her own life because she valued something more. She didn't care. And the other part of this part is Paul's stating this, but it, when he says the blood, their blood is not on my hands, it's kind of a weird statement. It goes back to Ezekiel 33, and it's this reference to a watchman. Ezekiel 33, which I believe Paul is referencing, is the watchman, if he's awake and he's aware and he sees that danger is coming, but he has successfully warned everyone, then he has done his job. He's a good shepherd. And Paul is saying, listen, I feel like I have finished my work here. I have no regrets about how I conducted my life. I did the race. I, I won the race. I finished it here. And he had peace with that. So he's letting them know. But this other part is he gives them an important warning. And we'll wrap up here because of time's sake. And I can just continue this message another time. I'm going to hold on to this baby because there's more. Verse 28. He says this, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Now he shifts from what he did in ministry, and he's going to shift to watch out. 
Pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. God bled for this church. Let's not betray the church. Let's guard it and protect it. Verse 28, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in from among you. So they're going to come from the outside, and they're not going to spare the flock. And from among you, your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things and drawing away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remember that for three years I did not cease day and night to admonish or warn everyone with even tears of concern that this is coming. What is he concerned about? He's concerned about people coming in and pulling people to themselves to, work, to really ultimately give them glory and honor and not Christ's glory and honor. I think we battle this in the church today probably just as much as then. People who will draw people to themselves and then something happens and they... They, they have a moral failure, and then lots of people go, wow, I, I don't want to be a Christian anymore. And I'm like, no, 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 no. No, no, that person drew you to themselves, not to, to Jesus. This happens over and over and over. And, and right after Paul is no longer in the picture, it took about 30 years for people to come in within the church. Most of it was from within the church. And teach things like Jesus was never really even here. Teach things like this one, which was wild. That actually to master sin, you must engage in sin greatly. In order that you could master it and feel no guilt from it. And they were leading people astray in great ways. So Paul is saying, listen, you've got to be ready. These people will come. And it happened then and it happens now. We have to be on guard. You've got you, you to gotta protect the truths of the gospel. Paul's legacy will remain intact. You want to know why? Because he equipped, he trained, and he released these people as leaders. That's how your legacy will remain. It doesn't just stay with you. You are investing in other people. And then you are equipping them, and you are training them, and you are going to then warn them to be careful and watch out. The last part here, I, I, I'll skip down a little bit. Verse 32, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance amongst all those who are sanctified. A good read on that is 1 Peter 5, 3, just about what it means to be a leader in church. Verse 33, I coveted no silver or gold among you. He's letting them know, listen, I wasn't here to, to, to get from you. I was here to give to you. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities, because he was a tent maker, and those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And listen to what he says. And remember that the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, now he himself said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Paul is saying this. I, 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 have, I have poured out. I want nothing from you other than that you follow Christ in the way that you are called to go. A really good verse to read is 1 Samuel 12, starting with verse 2, Samuel's last speech before they inaugurate Saul. Similar language there. Verse 36, last piece of scripture. And when he said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And there was so much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and they kissed him. 
being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. I have one big question for you as we close. And I think it's one worth, and I'll have it up on the screen, challenge at least. Please think about your legacy because you are writing it every single day. Please think about your legacy. Every single day you are writing your legacy. Let's not be thinking about legacy towards the end of our life. Some of you are very young in this room. Think about your legacy now. What do you want to leave behind? What faith legacy do you want to leave behind? I'll give you a little challenge here and encouragement. One thing you can do is begin to pray on a regular basis, if not daily. Just pray. God, what do you want from me? And how do you want to use me? I want, I want a legacy of faith like that. What do you want from me? And how are you going to use me? Read the Bible. Study the Bible. Look at it. Open it up. God, what do you want to show me through Scripture? He will. And what do you want to show me? And he'll speak to you through Scripture. But here's the hard part. That's like Sunday morning easy Christian stuff. Now here's the hard part. God, I want to trust you more today. I want to trust you beyond my own sight. And so you'll take little baby steps of trust. So if you feel like God is telling you to reconcile something or put a phone call in or pray more for some situation or God, please place someone in front of me that, that you are trying to, to, trying to bring to yourself and I want to be somebody there. I want to just trust me a little bit more. And then the last part is you got to be bold. There's just no way around it. You got to be bold. It's okay. I think people do appreciate boldness because they know that you're coming with conviction. So these little practices every day, pray, God, how can you use me? I want to leave a legacy of faith. God, however you do, I want to be used in that way. And God will speak to you. He speaks to you. And then through scripture, how, do I, how am I used? And then ultimately, it's going to have to be through trust. You've got to trust him. If God tells you to take a step, you've got to trust him, even though it doesn't look like it's a good, good step. And then you've got to be bold. That's how you build a legacy every single day in faith. I know how you're doing it with your own life and your families and, and, and your career. And I'm talking about in faith. That's how you're going to do it every single day, a little step. And I think that's exactly how Paul did it. And I don't think anybody else has gotten away from that formula. Every single day, God, what do you want from me and how can I do it? And I'm not going to be afraid to be bold. Someone is waiting on the other side. All of these people in Asia Minor, Macedonia, and Greece were all waiting for someone, and Paul said, I'll go. So if I can encourage you in anything with that, with Paul's last words that have deep meaning to it, that let's be encouraged as a church to leave a faith legacy. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you, God, for examples like Paul. God, there's people in our life we can say have left a faith legacy in our life. And God, I pray that, too, we turn around and do that for others. Not for us. Not so we can feel like we're better Christians. For you, God. We were once dead. But now we're alive. We once had no hope. But now we have hope. God, our life was chaos. But now there's peace. And so God, help us appreciate what has happened in our own life by bringing it to another who is bound spiritually not living 
hopeless, with no peace. God, the world is full of people like that. They're all around us. They're our neighbors. They're our coworkers. They're our family. So God, I ask that that daily increase of a faith legacy is a mantra in our life, that we want to leave that legacy, that it doesn't, we don't have to wait for the funeral to see its shape or even talked about, God, that it's known. So we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you guys could stand with me this last worship song.